Well, church, as we think about God's work among us and we look at the movement of God, the empowering presence of God called revival or renewal or spiritual awakening being the work of a sovereign great king who energizes his people and lifts them to places where they have never been and extends his kingdom in a fashion that is incredible. The kingly rule of God in our lives as he does that to the glory of the name of Jesus. I'm going to be in this book, Hosea, for the next two weeks, and I was last week, where this is a cry from the prophet Hosea in the 8th century B.C. to the people of Israel, come back, come back to the Lord. And he says in the last chapter of this Old Testament book, chapter 14, the Lord says, I'm like an evergreen tree, your fruitfulness comes from me. The Lord says to Hosea, I long to redeem my people. I long to redeem them. It's the cry of Abba, Father, to the people that have walked away, who have made idols in their own image. And, and God says, you know, come back. Come back. I long to redeem you. I, I am your God. I am an evergreen tree. Your fruitfulness comes from me. And, and so in light of that, I thought about this prayer that's in the bulletin that says, such a beautiful prayer. It says, Lord Jesus, give me a deeper repentance, a horror of sin, a dread of its approach. Help me chastely to flee it and jealously to resolve that my heart shall be thine alone. As I see the beauty of Christ and the Abba love of the Father, and the comforting grace of the Holy Spirit. Help me to realize that sin and idolatry and arrogance and broken relationships destroy, obliterate, take away my usefulness, do away with any type of happiness that I have in my heart regarding the things of God. And so we come to Hosea 10 this morning and we're going to deal with just the first four or five verses. Listen. Israel was a spreading vine or a luxuriant vine. He brought forth fruit for himself. As his fruit increased, he built more altars. As his land prospered, he adorned his sacred stones or sacred pillars or places of idolatrous worship. The heart is deceitful, and now they must bear their guilt. The Lord will demolish their altars and destroy their sacred stones. Then they will say, we have no king because we did not revere the Lord. But even if we had a king, what could he do for us? They make many promises and take false oaths and make agreements, therefore... Lawsuits spring up like poisonous weeds in a plowed field. The people live in Samaria fear for the calf idol of Beth Avon. His people will mourn over it, for so will its idolatrous priest. So what Hosea says here is that, is that Israel was like a luxuriant vine. 
They're, they're like a, a spreading vine, the NIV says. They, he says that he brought forth f- fruit for himself. That, that's a problem number one. Brought forth fruit for himself. Not for the glory of God, not to bless other people for himself. It says this, as, as his fruit increased, he built more altars. He made more idols. He enhanced the sacred stones that held up the altars. So his luxuriant vine lived for himself, built his altars up. See, there, there are some books that are popular among evangelicals today, and I, they kind of give me a heartache because people read the books and they walk away saying, especially younger people, that wealth is horrible. Wealth is horrible. Listen, there is nothing wrong with wealth. You read the Bible, some of God's chosen instruments were people of incredible wealth. There's nothing wrong with wealth. The, the problem is, this is fourth grade material, the problem is the misuse of wealth. There's nothing wrong with wealth. It's the misuse of wealth. Here, here people were blessed. God blessed his people. But they used what they had on themselves and they built altars and sacred stones to support these altars and the idols that they had made. There's a little verse in Hebrews 13 that says this. Verse 6. When I fed them, they became satisfied. When they became satisfied, they became proud and they forgot me. Satisfied? Proud? They just forgot me. It's, it's where wealth can take us. It's the stuff it can buy for us that obscures our vision and our purpose. When I, I fed them, they became satisfied. Then they became proud. They forgot me. The Templeton Prize is an award given since 1978, I think it was, established by Sir John Templeton, given to individuals annually who are people who have advanced man's understanding of his spirituality. The recipient last year was the Dalai Lama. Uh, other recipients have been, this broad-based, other recipients have been Billy Graham, Chuck Colson, prison reform fame, uh, Bill Bright. Uh, but in 1983, the recipient was a man, one of my heroes, named Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who was a Russian writer who was in prison after being a, an officer in World War II because he wrote one letter criticizing Joseph Stalin. And when he gave his speech to receive the Templeton Prize, he said something like this. In part, he said, he said, when I was a child and the Bolshevik Revolution had just hit and we heard about the Bolsheviks machine gunning the royal family and we saw the atrocities of the Bolsheviks. I heard my grandparents and older people say, the problem is men have forgotten God. That's why all this has happened. And then Solzhenitsyn says, now, 50-some years later, after writing eight volumes that deals with this issue, after interviewing thousands of people, after the death of 60 million of my countrymen, under the Bolshevik reign of terror, if someone were to say to me, why has all of this happened? My response would be quite simply what my grandparents said. Men have forgotten God. 
That's why all of this has happened. That's what Hosea 10 says. They've forgotten. They've forgotten God. They live for themselves. They have forgotten that the chief in a man is to glorify God. They have forgotten that we're to pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We forget that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And so there are certain telltale realities that happen in the hearts of people when they become proud and they forget God. In, in this passage, Hosea lines them out. He says in chapter 10, verse 2, he says, Their heart is deceitful or divided or vain. That their heart is deceitful, divided, and now they must bear their guilt. Your heart, listen, your heart, no matter how old you are in Christ, your heart is always being fashioned one way or the other. Either we leave off the watch and our heart is being pummeled and fashioned by the world around us and the spirit of the age and the things that we allow to govern our lives or our heart is being formed under the hand of the living God. Your heart is always being formed. And the problem here is their heart was divided. Their heart was deceitful. They've just forgotten God. At 1 Timothy 4, the scripture says this. Paul's writing to this young man. He says, 1 Timothy 4, verse 15, says, Timothy, be diligent in these matters, which means to be militaristic, to be disciplined, diligent, militaristic. Be militaristic in these matters. Give your heart and yourself incredibly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. I back up and say, well, be diligent in these matters. What are these matters? These matters are, verse 12, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but be an example to the believers in, in speech, in life, in love, in faith, in purity. These matters. Speech, life, love, faith, purity. He says, stir up or develop your spiritual gift. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. He says, he says Timothy, now be diligent, be militaristic. Be disciplined, be wholehearted about these things. Immerse yourself in them so that everyone may see your progress. See, our, our lives are being shaped and formed and fashioned every day. Our hearts are. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 17 says, Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, know that people twist the scriptures, know that the judgment of God is coming. Since you know this, be on your guard so that you will not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. It's right here. See, our hearts are being formed every day, brothers and sisters. I mean, be on your guard so that you won't be carried away by the, the, the error of lawless men. Your hearts. Proverbs 4, verse 23. Guard your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs 
of life. And he says in chapter 23, verse 26, my son, give me your heart. How's that? That's the cry of a dad. My son, give me your heart. Give me the affections. Give me the attention of your being. Don't, don't have a divided heart. Jesus says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth will speak. You see? The heart. When you forget God, you have a divided heart. You forget that your heart is being formed or fashioned one way or the other. I'm reading a book on the sport of bicycle racing, the Tour de France and that type of thing. It's entitled The Secret Race. I'll quote it later. But in The Secret Race, it talks about how they were involved. This particular group was involved in drug abuse and drug enhancement stimulants. He said one young guy came on the team and he struggled with it. And he said at one time they were having a conversation and he says, you know, I, I just feel guilty about taking this stuff. And he says, this is kind of a throwaway sentence in the book, but it just hit me. He writes this, he says, guilt was an emotion most of us had given up long ago. Whoa. See, guilt was an emotion most of us, you see, your heart being formed, had given up long ago. The Savior Christ on the cross, my people, give me your heart. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. Give me your heart. For to be a people prepared for God. We'll say, God, don't, don't let me have a divided heart. Let me every, every day understand that I am, I, am, I am under the Holy Spirit fashioning my heart for good or for bad, you know. The second thing in this passage is that these people were, were arrogant. Verse 3, then they will say, we have no king. Because we did not revere the Lord. But even if we had a king, what could he do for us? So we didn't revere the Lord. We didn't serve the Lord. And so we cry out, we have no king. We're between, between kings. But, but really, what, what, what can anyone really teach us? Arrogance, a statement says, uh, I call the shots. Once again, fed them, satisfied, forgot me. Proud, they forgot me. I, I call the shots. I read recently about a man, <laughs> 25-year-old man in the Bronx Zoo. I've never been to this zoo, but there supposedly is a a train that goes through the zoo and goes over significant cages where man-eating animals are. And so this 25-year-old who probably had been, um, was under the influence of something, was going over the cage of the Siberian tiger. The tiger's name is Bakuta, 11-year-old male Siberian tiger that weighs over 400 pounds. He was 17 feet above this tiger's enclosure and he jumped from the train into the enclosure because he said he wanted to be one with the tiger he came perilously close to being one with the tiger in a way he didn't 
when he he jumped off the train and he was suddenly face-to-face with this 11-year-old Siberian tiger, over 400 pounds. Uh, The tiger pounced upon him and uh, he escaped with lacerations to his arms, legs, shoulder, and back. The zookeeper said the tiger could have easily killed him. Quote, tigers are extremely capable predators. They, are, they typically grab a prey uh, animal by the back of the neck and it's over very quickly. And I thought, you know, when, when I shake my fist in the face of God, and you think, well, I don't do that. But when I don't walk in obedience, I am shaking my fist in God. I shake my fist in the face of God. I says, God, I call the shots. I'm like a man jumping from a train into the pit of a Siberian tiger saying, I can handle life on my own. Let me tell you something. I, the older I get, the more I say with, with great freedom and great spontaneity, I cannot do life on my own. If you're married, and I've said, I say this all the time, if you're married and you're a man, and you read Ephesians 5, and you say, I can do this on my own. You are an idiot. You're just an idiot. You're a blooming idiot. You're a blooming onion idiot at Outback. I mean, you're good grief. Love your wife as Christ loves the church. Ah, I can do that. No, you can't. It says, wives, you know, says, wives, you know, submit yourself to your husbands. You look at him. To him? To him? I mean, you go, go on, you know, forgive people as God has forgiven you in Jesus. Yeah, I can do that. No, no, you can't. See, arrogance, arrogance destroys you. One of the key verses of Hosea is in chapter 4, verse 6, when it says this. Hosea says, says, the Lord says, my people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. And it's not, it's not the knowledge of the SAT score. It's not the knowledge of understanding, you know, intricacies of, of physics or talking about Otto von Bismarck and the put together, put, coming together of the Prussian Empire or talking about the poetry of Pablo Neruda. We can do that. We, we can learn that. We can learn foreign language. We can do that. This is the knowledge of life living. It is the knowledge of life skills. It's the knowledge of chapter 4, verse 1, where God says there's no faithfulness, there's no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. You see, knowledge of God is faithfulness, it is acknowledging God, it is love in the land. It is, it is living life skillfully under the hand of God. And he says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because they've turned their back on me. There's no life skill knowledge here. There's no... There's no See, that's why I'm always amazed. I mean, I'm always amazed. I just read a book recently about the head of the Nazi security system, Admiral Karinis, who turned against Hitler. And I'm always amazed at the Yule Library, and there are all these books, new books about Nazi Germany. You know, month after month, some more books come out. There's a fascination with Nazi Germany for several reasons. I think part of the fascination is this. How could a civilization... A country so advanced educationally, so advanced, do what they did. And, and you look at the you look at the, the characters in the inner circle, and it's really like a cartoon almost. 
I mean, Hitler is a cartoonish character. Goring, a different uniform each week with more medals he didn't earn. Goebbels, who was kind of a weird, sadistic, bizarre guy. And these were leading the most advanced civilization on the face of the earth in the 1930s and 40s. And see, part of the reality is there was no knowledge of God. No knowledge of God. They mocked God. They belittled God. They cursed Christ. No knowledge of God. See, right here, my people are destroyed from lack of knowledge about me. When I'm around Christians, when I'm around Christians who have swallowed the hook of Scripture and they walk under the Lordship of Christ, I am continually amazed when I talk to these people who really are thoughtful Christians who are in the Word. I've discovered this. There is a baloney meter in your heart where you understand, yeah, no, yeah, no. There's a baloney meter. You, 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 kind of, you kind of get it. Psalm 1, blessed is man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on that law, he meditates day and night. He will have a baloney meter. He will. Conversely, you make God in your own image. You worship the God you have made. And here, here's, here is the refrain of the people who worshiped at the altar of the calf God. It was not, holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. Their refrain is this. The calf God understands... I can walk away from my wife and my children and do my own thing with someone else and it's no big deal because my calf God understands. I can live for myself, verse 1. I can spend my money and time on myself. I don't have to be a good steward under the eye of Abba Father because my calf God understands. You just tease it out time after time. I have heard intelligent people who claim to be Christians make the most ridiculous, ludicrous statements because they've made a God in their own image. Brothers and sisters, this is the truth. This is the truth. And as we put our hearts beneath the Word of God, we worship the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit who are eternal God. Three in one. There's never a time when God was not. And he has spoken. In the fullness of time, this great God became a man. He lived a perfect life, died on, our, on the cross for our sins, rose victorious over death, poured his Holy Spirit out upon the church, and we have the apostolic testimony of that. It's complete. It is finished. We live here. The steeples of our churches, when we have a steeple, and our sanctuaries have a cross because God has spoken Finally and definitively in the person and work of Jesus, this is who we are. We don't worship calf gods. We don't worship calf gods. We worship the living God, the maker of heaven and earth, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We run to places like Jeremiah 9 where Jeremiah says, Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom. There are some wise men here. Let not the mighty man boast of his might. There's some mighty people here. 
Let not the rich man boast of his riches. There are some rich people here. But let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the God who practices steadfast love, mercy, and kindness on the earth. For in these things I delight. That, that, that's who we are. That, that's what we're about. And then the third area is, is just broken relationships and litigation. Listen to verse 4. They, they make many promises... And they take false oaths and make agreements. And therefore, lawsuits spring up like poisonous weeds in a plowed field. <laughs> when I'm around older people who are dying. And they'll say, I remember the day when a man's word was his bond. I remember the day when a handshake sealed the deal. Obviously, there was a time that was like that in the nation of Israel, but they'd forgotten God. And now they needed lawsuits and notaries, and they needed videotapes of statements made, or they'd take you to court. He said, you make false oaths. The book of James in the New Testament, this, I, just, I always go back, this is, a, James is, we think he's the, the brother of Christ. And so he's bringing his book to a close. And he says, chapter 5, verse 12. Above all, my brothers. You stop there. If you haven't read James lately and you've forgotten what he says here. I, there's a lot of ways I would fill in that blank. Above all. This is what he says. Above all, my brothers, do not swear, not by heaven or earth or anything else, but let your yes be yes and your no be no. Be a man of integrity. And then I've got to be honest, I read the Sermon on the Mount and I'm going, you know, Christ, this incredible chapter 5, he's talking about treating your brother and sister with respect. He's talking about treating them with respect in the area of your sexuality. He's talking about honoring your marital vows. And, and, then, and, and then after this little section, he talks about the importance of, of being a person of justice and about loving your enemies. And it's just, and, and, but right in the middle of all of this, he, he makes this statement. And I'm going, let's just listen. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven above, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. You're going, the Lord put an incredible premium on integrity and honesty. His brother Put an incredible premium above all that your yes be yes and your no be no. Because the way we treat each other, the way we keep our oaths, is a reflection of our understanding of God. You go back to James chapter, chapter 5. He says, he says, verse 10. He says, brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. That's it. 
They spoke in the name of the Lord. They walked before the presence of God, the God who is their Abba Father, the God who died on the cross of their sins. Brothers, listen. Because of that, let your yes be yes and your no be no. An incredible high premium on just speaking the truth. People forget God. And they don't speak the truth. They lie. This, this book, it's called The Secret Race. It's really about the Tour de France and the use of uh, something called EPO, which is a, enhances your ability to perform. They called it Edgar Allan Poe, you know, EPO. And, uh, just, it's really a very discouraging book. But this is one of the guy who wrote it, a guy named Tyler Hamilton, and he starts the book off by saying, I come from Scott Heritage. He says, the, the one thing that my parents did, we had no money. There were several boys in the home. He said, well, my dad was a man of integrity. He said, he just told the truth. And they, 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 they beat that into us in a loving way. He said, one day a year during the summer, during summer vacation, we'd have the... Uh, some they call the crazy days games and we play croquet all day long and the object of that day was to cheat as long as you could and as hard as you could as a joke and at the end of the day we gave the best cheater an award he said but that was kind of a parody we, we, we were people of incredible honesty and so he goes he becomes a, a very well paid i mean these guys are making half a million to two million dollars a year and they're not the, the lead biker and he says, I go to Europe, and I'm, I'm beginning to, I just have started doing the taking drugs to enhance my performance. Nobody knows what my team, head of his team's Lance Armstrong. And he says, I go home for the summer, and I'm sitting there with my dad. And he says, my dad's a smart guy. He knew that something was going on in the biking world. He'd been reading about it. And it couldn't be brushed away, so he was clear he said he didn't want me getting mixed up in a bad scene in something I would regret. He said, I didn't hesitate. I looked at my dad in the face and said, Dad, if I ever have to take that stuff to compete, I will retire. I thought it would be hard to lie to my daddy. It turned out that it was easy. I looked him right in the eye. The words popped out so effortlessly that I'm ashamed to think of it now. The truth was far from too complicated to tell. The, that fall when other friends asked about the biking world, I said the same thing, even with more conviction. If I ever have to take that stuff to compete, I will retire. But each time, listen, each time the words felt good to say, each time lying got easier. They wanted to believe I was clean, and in a way so did I. When I spoke those words to my father, it sealed my life in bike racing behind a steel door. That was the moment I started learning that what we had to learn, colon, how to live on two planets at one time. Where you want to live and where you do live. See, your heart's being fashioned, brothers and sisters. My heart's being fashioned. The little decisions I make, the little lies, the, the little indiscretions, the little hits on the computer, the, the, the little cutting of being a steward and being self-seeking, 
It just adds and it adds and it adds. And many of us can testify. And as you do that, it just gets easier. Because you departed from God. Revival comes to prepare people who say my fruitfulness comes from the reality of Jesus Christ. All the promises Hosea longed to see were fulfilled in Jesus. My fruitfulness comes from you, oh God, you. So next week we'll deal with breaking up unplowed ground and seeking the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for preserving under your authority the words of a man written down by inspiration eight centuries before Christ, a man called Hosea. Thank you that Hosea longed to see the coming of Messiah King. Thank you that we live on this side, Lord Christ, of your full revelation of the outpoured Holy Spirit, of the giving to us of the Word of God. These are things Hosea longed to see but did not. We see them. So, Lord, I I pray that we would stand up and say every day, my fruitfulness comes from the Lord, that we would be very careful that we don't make calf idols and say the calf God understands, but that we, we would cling to the reality of Scripture and walk in fellowship and walk in community and and ask you by your Holy Spirit to teach us through your word, Lord, to shape us and to fashion us so that we might be your people to the glory of your name. So, So God, bless us. Make us, your people, a luxuriant vine so that we might bless others so that we might take the gospel to the nations. God, forgive us for being luxuriant vines and spending what we get on ourselves. Forgive us for that. Forgive us for having divided hearts and for being arrogant. And and really saying, I know the Bible says this, but I'm going to go the other way because you're the shepherd king and you love us. Forgive us, Lord, for, for so being self-seeking that we see relationships crumble. Just let our yes be yes and our no be no. Let us be simple-hearted, Jesus-loving men and women who speak the truth in love and brokenness and diligence. Uh, And we will praise your name. Lord, break up the unplowed ground in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.